This morning we'll be in Psalms, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and we'll be in Psalm 21 and 22 this morning. It's fitting as we get closer to Easter that we're going to hit this chapter 22, and it kind of prepares us for that as it's a prophecy about a suffering Messiah. While you're turning there, we'll go through some of the things that are taking place or coming up. Today's a potluck after second service, a baked potato bar. Um, that's it. Bring your own sides. And then uh, prayer night tonight, 7 p.m. Join us for that, about an hour long, 7 to 8. And then worship night, April 29th is coming up. Uh, that's this month at 7 p.m. Now, I want to explain that a little bit, just so you understand. We're, we're going to start off with just solid prayer. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll, in the middle, though, be waiting on the Lord. And uh, this is an opportunity for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be used, to be in operation, um, for you to exercise those gifts, encouragement, scriptures, um, uh, gift of tongues, gift of prophecy, things like that. Um, and so, you know, read up on that stuff if that's new to you um, in Corinthians and things like that. We, we're, we're a little bit different than probably what you've seen on TV in the sense, I mean, we are a Pentecostal church, but we do things decently in an order. Um, and we believe like right now, hopefully, Lord willing, that the gift of teaching will be in operation. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And um, and so you don't see a lot of interruptions and things like that with someone shouting in the middle of a service or something because the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt himself. It's not, it's not true. And so um, it'll be a night for that, though. And it's a beautiful time to just calm yourself and quiet yourself before the Lord, to wait on him, um, and to let those gifts um, move and operate and encourage one another. So I encourage you for that. And then after that, we finish up with some, with some more singing, some more music. So that's kind of how the night will go. And we have invited other fellowships uh, from down, uh, in town and, and out of town to join us for that. So there'll be some, some uh, strangers here if we, can, if we can do it. I'm sure we can. So garage sale, May 27th and the 28th. Uh, all the proceeds are going to be going to David Spencer's ministry in Africa. Uh, we are heading down as a group of men. David has asked for the elders to come down and to anoint him with oil and to lay hands on him, as the scriptures uh, instruct us to do. So we'll be going down there today. So a lot of us won't be here for the potluck. We're going to head straight down there to the ICU in St. Joe. If you didn't know, he's got malaria. He has pneumonia. His blood platelets are down. They think we're going to have to do a blood transfusion on him. And he says, basically, he just thinks it's spiritual. He thinks he's being under attack and he really wants some, um, some prayer because it's so strange. And he had some strange things happen to him in the night. Um, and so um, we're going down for that. So please pray for David Spencer as he's been back from Africa now. And it was quite a successful trip as far as productivity goes. I love that. I mean, I love it when things happen, you know, and you're not just sitting around. And it was really good. Um, but as he came back, he came back sick and beaten up, you know, spiritually. So we're going to go down and be doing that today after the second service. And I think that is it. All right. Lord, we pray that as we get into Psalm 21 and 22, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would plant your word there and uh, encourage us for those that need encouragement this morning, that you would instruct us, um, and, and that we'd be able to rejoice that these prophetic psalms were given for us to look back on. As Jesus died on the cross, we can be assured that you knew about that, that this was your plan, that it didn't surprise you, that Satan didn't win, and that it was very effective. And so... Uh, we thank you for these two psalms. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 21 is a, 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 a song by David about the joy of the salvation of the Lord, which is fitting because 22 is a prophecy about how we're saved and why we're saved, and it describes um, the crucifixion of the suffering Messiah. 
And so as we get into that, um, it's, it's very apparent that although written thousands of years before um, the crucifixion of Jesus, right, uh, Jesus Christ, and then also hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented, by the way, um, this Psalm 22 was written um, so very prophetic. It wasn't like David was looking out at someone who had had this happen to them. It's a very strange thing. Nobody understood this, so they would read this and pierced and and uh, you know your bones out of joint. And they didn't understand what they were talking about, but boy, when you saw the crucifixion, they could see um, that that's exactly what the, David had um, prophesied. So Psalm 21, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Um, what David's excited about is that God didn't answer all of his prayers the way he wanted them answered. And this is important because later on the psalmist writes that we pray that our heart's desires are God's heart's desires. And since David was a man after God's own heart, when David says, you answered all my heart's desires, they were God's. It wasn't like, I, I really like a golden chariot. Everybody else has got a golden chariot, and then God gave him a golden chariot. That's, that's not what David prayed for or asked for. It, they were other things, and so he's describing this here um, and some of the things that he asked for and some of the things that God gave him. Um, the king is also admitting that he needs the Lord in this. Kings, you know, generally top dog, you know, uh, so you don't need anybody. I mean, everybody needs you, and it's your job to command and control, basically. That's your, that's your mission, to protect, to serve, but also um, you don't have anybody you can really call upon. You have advisors, but it's really the buck stops with you. And so when David writes this psalm, he's saying, no, I, my salvation, you know, I might be the salvation for other people in the sense that I'm a good king, and I'm, I'm, I'm a good manager, and I'm a good warrior, and I do all these things, but my salvation is from the Lord. And uh, anytime a leader can point people to Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. All of us are called to do that. It doesn't matter what our positions are, but we want to point people to Jesus Christ and that he's our salvation, that we're under his authority. And so David does that here. Um, he's not withheld any of the requests of his lips. And so David just pauses and reflects upon that, gives God glory and thanksgiving for that. He says for you in verse three, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness you set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asks life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. Well, we don't live forever and ever, so what's he talking about? <laughs> He's talking about true salvation, the eternity uh, that we have hope in. He asks life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David says all these things were put upon him. These aren't things that he sought out. These aren't things that he earned. Everything that he has, he says, this is a gift from God. The crown on my head is a gift from God. The fact that glory has been placed on me is a gift from God. These things are, are the Lord's. I've, I've been blessed. Um, uh, with all these things, but I know that God is the one that's done this. David was just a simple shepherd boy, you know. He wasn't out looking to make a name for himself or be great. He just did what he was supposed to do in the field that he was in that day. And that's a lesson, I think, for all of us. That's something to be encouraged in. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years, but I know where I am today. And today is the day that I'm going to serve the people that are in front of me, you know, you right now. 
Um, yesterday, it was a different story. Uh, as my wife was here and, and, and Carolyn was here ministering to the ladies, I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was taking care of Bo and focused on him. Um, he was my focus, and I'll bring him up in this story again. Uh, I got really blessed by him. He was blessed by me. Um, you know, I was, it's nice to have dad's attention all to yourself for a while. Uh, Mariah was here, and she was with the ladies, so it was just me, or Bo and I. And uh, the day just worked out really well. So that was my day. My day was of one yesterday, you know, and today it's different. And all of us have those moments. But the ministry is the same. It's always the same. It's to reflect Christ to the person in front of you or the people in front of you. And David understood that. God gives, or David gives him credit for everything. Everything that God's ever done for him. That verse 7 really hit me as I was studying. Um, it's the mercy word that, that got me. We talk about mercy a lot. And um, we love it. And here's some scriptures for you. I, wanna, I have some cross-references. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they should obtain mercy. And that's in the Beatitudes. And we love that. And we kind of know what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, you know. Um, but it's also just to look on someone with compassion, with understanding, um, with a heart for them, you know. Not just mercy, not just I, I, I hold out my scepter to you. I, I will not do what I could do if I wanted to. There's more to it than that. The mercy that David is talking about here, the, and through mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The king is not moved. He's strengthened by the fact that there's mercy from God upon him. It moves him, or it, it moves him towards God, and it makes him immovable here on earth. Um. There's something to rejoice over when you know that you're not going to get what you deserve and you understand why. I think we miss that part a lot of times. The heart of our Father, why is He giving us mercy? Not just that He's giving us mercy. He's giving us mercy because He absolutely loves us. He chooses to. I want to. I prefer it. I prefer it. He, he even says that in Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I would prefer you'd obey me, but if you don't, I desire mercy, not a, not a dead lamb. I really do desire to choose to give you the blessing of not giving you what you deserve because I love you. That's his, that's his go-to. Sometimes we think of him the other way around. He's just waiting to lay the hammer down or somehow or another, you know, we've avoided what he really wants to do to us. You know, we sneak into heaven, maybe by the skin of our teeth. Maybe he doesn't notice us or whatever. Um, that's not his heart at all. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. I was thinking about uh, Saul and when he lost his authority as king. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second. Saul was uh, doing a great job, but God had told him in this specific battle that I, I don't want you to leave anything left. I I don't want any of the stuff, none of the spoil. It all needs to be killed. Everything needs to be done. I don't want you to bring anything back. And Samuel was his man at the time. He was his prophet. He was God's prophet. And so um, when they get back to camp, Samuel is sent by God to go talk to Saul and say, you know, why, why, are, you, why are you disobedient? Why didn't you do what God did? He goes, what? I, Saul says, I've done everything God told me to do. I, I, did, I, I killed everything. I did everything. He goes, so then what's the bleeding of these sheep that I'm hearing? Well, those were the choicest sheep, Saul said. They, these are the best livestock. I mean, we're gonna, we brought them back to sacrifice them to you, God. He's very disappointed, angry. He says, that's not what I asked you to do. That wasn't the, that wasn't the desire of my heart. I, 
I would prefer you be obedient than to bring back sacrifices. What good is it? I, I don't want that as a sacrifice. I, what I wanted was you to do what I asked you to do, you know, not to, not to bring a sacrifice to me. And so from that day forward, he says, this kingship, this, this ability for you to rule and reign is, is being taken from you. You're no longer worthy to be a king. God loves mercy. He loves that. Um, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God chooses to do that, to be merciful to us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we, as we are, yet without sin. I bring that in. It doesn't say mercy in it, but that's essentially what he's saying. Is that I can sympathize with your weakness. I understand that. I give mercy because I understand you. And it's so nice to be understood by God. The fact that God looks down upon any of us and decides to give us mercy, this mercy is what strengthens David and should strengthen us is because I understand you. I understand what you need. What you need right now is to see me accepting you, to forgive you, to not do what I should do to you, what you need right now. And any parent, any good parent understands this when they're working with their children, when they're raising kids. There is a time (laughs) when they need to be taught, you know, a lesson or they need to be punished. There's also a time, there are moments, and you need to be led by the Spirit, when what they need from you is understanding. That They need to see mercy. They need to know that it's not always that. It's There's mercy available to them. I, um, I was telling you with Bo yesterday, it was just such a wonderful time. I look for this in people. I look for mercy in people. It's, a very, it's one of my secret litmus tests for ministry here at Calvary. Um, so there, I gave it away. I look for people that are merciful. I like that. Um, it's very, very important for ministry. It's so important. Not just to be right, not just to be doctrinally sound. That's all important. But for merciful people. And I learn mercy and I see mercy more often in my children or kids than I do adults a lot of time. We've, um, we think too much as, as adults, I think. Um, so driving around with Bo, here's my story. Driving around with Bo, we were going to Chick-fil-A because that's what we wanted to eat. And I said, I don't know. I think it's spring break, but maybe they're open. We'll see what happens. And Bo, they were the only ones open in the whole cafe on campus. So you bet. We got Chick-fil-A. You didn't have to go to St. Joe or anything. It was great. And we got it. And as we were going there, we saw there was a baseball game. Now, that's Bo's new thing. He's, he's, got, he's had one baseball practice under his belt. And we're doing baseball, you know, now. And first team sport besides soccer. And um, that really going to, he's just all in. I mean, he is all in. And so we drove by. We saw the Northwest was warming up for a baseball game. I said, well, let's just eat, or eat there, you know. And on our way uh, to there, I, he's got his window down. It's not that warm that you can have your window down. But he's got his win- our window down in the truck. And he's, and he's just staring like this at his door. Like, what are you doing? Because there's a bug. He's trying to get out. I'm trying to let him out of the... I'm trying to let him out. It seems like a small thing, but that's mercy. Who cares about a bug? How many of you care about bugs any day at all? I mean, honestly. He used to maybe as a kid, but I look over and I remember 
having mercy for bugs, a beetle on its back. I, I don't step on them. When I was a kid, I'd flip them back over. I'd take the time and let them grab onto my finger and roll them back over because I, oh, what a horrible way to die on your back and you can't get flipped over. So I'd flip them over. I look for that. I saw that mercy in him. I said, hey, he's not going anywhere. And he rolls the window up. He goes, oh, now he wants out. So I rolls it back down and he's having this thing with this bug, you know? I said, well, it's too windy. I said, you got to wait till we stop. And so here I am. Here I am joining in his mercy. It's contagious. You know, I could have said, well, just flick him. He'll go out, you know. No, <laughs> wouldn't survive that, would he, you know. I said, no, why don't you wait till we stop to get the, you know, to get the Chick-fil-A. And, and then when the window goes down, he'll, he'll just climb out. We'll just leave it open while we're there. And we came back and he looks. He goes, oh, yeah, the buck's gone. You know, it's a, it's a dumb, small story. But it's mercy at its purest form, I think. It's looking at something that, and I want you to understand that God sees us, not like a bug, but kind of like a bug, sees us that helplessness, sees us on our back, even if it was our own fault, even if we put ourselves in that position, even if we're too dumb to get out of it, you know? I mean, I've got kids that shut lights off so moths can figure it out, you know, because the moths are confused by the lights, so they'll turn the lights off. And there they go because they think it's the moon and they're trying, to, they're trying to navigate. And that's why the bugs always hit the light because they can't navigate. So they turn the lights off. Mercy. To see something innocent and, 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 and living and want to do something to help it. I said, that is the heart of God right there for us. You can't help yourself. We don't think of ourselves as bugs, but compared to God, I mean, honestly, we're made in his image, but we're nowhere near as smart. You know, we're powerful or capable. And so when God looks down at us, he says, oh, these, yeah, that's how he sees us with a pure, innocent, beautiful mercy. So please know that. Um, we have a high priest that can, he sympathizes with our weakness, weaknesses. I, I, I rely that. And David does too. He says, and that makes me stronger. That makes me immovable. It makes you immovable in your faith when you understand your God that you worship. You're not worshiping because he's the biggest, toughest guy in the universe. You know, you worship him because he thinks that way about you, you know, and cares for you. Verse eight, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You make them uh, as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they were, are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Wait, where's the mercy? Isn't that interesting? What's the difference? What happened? I think that's where we get a misunderstanding of mercy. We misunderstand God's love. You know, we all know the story from the Oscars. I'm sure it's been saturated from, you know, east to west. It's hard not to have somebody that knows that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock across the face, you know, regardless of how you feel about it. Um, <laughs> some of the comments about it from Christians was always oh, said he was a vessel of love and, and, and look what he does. Well, and I'm not picking a side here, but was it love for his wife? You know, appropriate or not or inappropriate or not, pop culture is pop culture, staged or not, I don't care. It's just a good point to make. What is love? And, 
And how is it that the world translate a vessel of love as somebody who's pathetically weak and doesn't do anything and doesn't move, doesn't harm, doesn't... See, God's mercy, God's love is big and complete and thorough and um, dynamic in the sense that for God so loved the world... Well, okay. He sent his only son to die on the cross. You know, there's a, if you're not thinking about it, there is a, a definite, there's a dichotomy there. There's a problem with that. You know, why go to violence? You know, um, God is a God of war, but against whom? You know, um, we get a very good handle on what true love looks like, what true mercy looks like, what true grace looks like from God. And he is our only example of that. He's our only example. Um, as much as my son loves bugs, if it was a hornet, <laughs> he wouldn't, that hornet would not have survived. It would have got out mainly because he didn't want to get stung by it. But if there was no way out, this is the hornet or himself, the hornet's dead. You know, he doesn't have a problem with that. David is talking about God's hornets (laughs) that come against him, that have plans against him, that are going to hurt people, that are going to harm people. He says, we can see that those enemies aren't going to survive this. David, on the other hand, in the previous section we just studied, was talking about mercy for those who are submitted to the Lord, who are in love with him, who serve him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, He sees that, and both are true. And so it concludes in of Psalm 21 with verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. That's what we do. We're going to sing and praise your power because of your strength. Psalm 22. This is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm about a suffering Messiah. Again, like I said, thousands of years before Christ was crucified, but hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented. And you'll see the, the comparison. There are several prophecies here that are fulfilled by Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. If we remember our story right, that's how, um, that's how Jesus begins one of his, uh, it's one of his sayings on the cross. Um, it says this in Mark 15, verses 33 through 34. Jesus has been tried and accused and, and sentenced to death. He's hanging on the cross. It says, now, when the sixth hour had come, um, and that's, uh, uh, that's noon time, actually, uh, their, their time, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three, uh, it was dark. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and there's, that's obviously the beginning of this psalm. Two ways, and I believe two things are happening at the same time here, honestly. Um, I think one of the important distinctions is that he is, as a teacher, as a rabbi, he's getting his students to remember Psalm 22. Um, they would hear that, that beginning verse, and they would think, oh, that's Psalm 22. And they would read the rest of Psalm 22, and they would realize this is being fulfilled right in our presence. But I also think it's real. I think it's real. 
I think that's exactly how he felt. I don't think he was just being, see, people aren't comfortable with that. Oh, Jesus, you made it three and a half years of great ministry, you know, your whole life. Then you get on the cross and you kind of blow it at the very end by saying, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he almost made it and been a really good savior. No, that's what happened at the cross. He was separated from his father. That is a, that's an experience he's never had, ever. And he's an eternal being. Jesus has always been. He wasn't like created. He's always been. You can't be an everlasting father without an everlasting son. He's always been everlasting. But to become a human, to be a man, and to be put on the cross, to be separated from God for the sins of the world, that's the first time he's ever experienced anything like that. So, of course, that's what you would say. There's bewilderment. There's, there's no connection. There's no communication anymore. It's you're done. And so although I believe he is being a rabbi, and I believe he's probably trying to get everybody to understand that, and this is, this is part of that, to read Psalm 22, to know this is being fulfilled, I think he's also from his heart. He's feeling that. He's feeling it. Why have you left me? Why have you left me? And so this psalm is writing about that. So also, in the same vein, David is actually talking about himself, but also prophesying about the future, about the Messiah. But he also feels that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he writes it in a psalm because he knows everybody goes through those times. Where are you, God? I don't know that I haven't had those times too. You know, I, I, don't, I can't remember specific instances where I didn't know where God was or doubt him in any way. Um, I just don't. I don't know what it is. I just don't doubt him. I don't feel his presence as strongly a lot of times or at all at times, but I don't doubt that he's not there, you know. Um, but David is writing this song for those who wonder, why is this happening to me? Where are you? And why do I feel separated from you right now? So it's, an, it's a true heart feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear it in the night season. And I'm not silent. I mean, you can almost hear Job saying something like that, you know? Um, but he's, he, Job's not alone, David's not alone, and, and we're not alone in these cries. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. See, David, as he writes a song, says, you may start off with this kind of cry, but please remember that he's enthroned in the praises of Israel. He's here all the time. Every time we sing to him, there he is. But you were enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you did deliver them. You did eventually answer them. How long did the children of Israel cry out in, in Egypt? 400 years. That's an important thing to know. How long did it take for a lot of the promises to happen to Sarah and Abraham? That was 20 years before Isaac was actually born until the promise was fulfilled. Sometimes, although God doesn't answer immediately or as fast as we'd like him to, he does answer. He does answer. And, uh, and sometimes the answer is no. That's important to know also. It isn't always yes. I may pray, but I may not pray correctly. And he may say, yeah, that's a good prayer. I understand that, but I'm not going to do anything about that. I'd rather this stay the way it is. It's part of my plan. And so David reminds him that he's enthroned in the praises of Israel. Begin to praise the Lord if you want to be close to him. Begin to seek his face and to spend time with him and to glorify him for who he is. And, and God will do amazing things. He'll begin to show up. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried. 
to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. They didn't, uh, they weren't embarrassed about God. Um, and I don't, I don't know that anybody here is embarrassed about God at times in their life. Like, um, you know, I, I keep telling everybody how great God is. And then this happens to me. I just, I kind of wonder if, you know, I didn't, if God didn't blow his witness in my life, you know, I, I, I'm assuming we don't, we don't do that, but that's what David's getting at. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed if I don't get the answer that I think I should get or that other people think I should get. Um, no. He says, but I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Uh, let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's a prophecy um, in the, let's see, do Matthew 27 verses 42 through 44. During the crucifixion, this was said, save himself. Let him save himself. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him uh, with the same thing. This is a prophecy that's fulfilled. They're going to say these things about you. Um, they're going to say that you should save yourself and, and uh, um, you should be able to do that. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. That's a fulfilled prophecy there. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Um, I've always trusted in you. I've always waited on you. I've always known you, you know. Um, I've always felt your presence in my life. And some of you can have that. Some of you have had that experience, you know. Maybe you weren't walking with God as closely as you'd like. Um, or even born again, but you've always felt his presence, you know. Um, you've, you've known that he's been close to you, and that's what David's saying. He says, just don't be far from me. My trouble is near. I, I need you near also. Verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You brought me to the dust of death. Um, if you read a physician's account of the crucifixion, you, you see a lot of these things are very similar. The suffocation, the, um, the idea of being nailed in the feet and then nailed in the hands is to take a breath, you'd have to push up take a breath and then you'd hang down and let that breath out. And pretty soon you don't have the strength to push up anymore. And obviously it hurts so much. And so you begin to suffocate and your lungs begin to fill and the sack around your heart begins to fill with water and you begin to feel all those things. And then obviously the weight, you can't handle the weight of being hanging there and you feel your, your tendons giving way. Um, and so that's what he's describing is very, very accurately that crucifixion. It says in verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That's pretty specific prophecies. I mean, 
That's an amazing thing. I'll, I'll read to you in Matthew 27, 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So even Matthew describes this moment right here, David's psalm, as a prophecy. Um, that David was being a prophet when he spoke this. Um, I don't know that David understood that. Maybe he did. Um, but they certainly understood that later on. Um, In Matthew 26, verses 67 through 68, then they spat in his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And those would be the bulls that are surrounding him. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And then there's this gap and he writes, you've answered me. You can almost see the words that is finished put in place there. You know, it's done. It's done. Verse 22 describes the success the salvation that took place from God. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. This is Easter. This is the resurrection. This is after it is finished. We see 22, 23, 24 describing the celebration that took place. He's alive. He's alive. You know, you can hear the joy. And then he begins to describe here in the next section, um, evangelism. And how the whole world is going to talk about this, you know. This is way more than David having a bad day and writing a song about it, you know. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is of the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. In uh, um, Romans chapter 14, verse 11, it says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And this is what's happening. And the world will all go through that and experience that. Um, It says this about evangelism, 30 and 31, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. It's such a powerful prophecy. Um, I know that the, uh, and then of course Psalm 23 next week will be the shepherd's psalm, but as we close here, I, I, I always I try to remind people of this, and it isn't a big deal, but it helps me in my mind, so I'd, I'm going to pass it on to you, that Genesis 22 and, and Psalm 22 and then Luke 22, they all, they all go together. They're all the same event. Genesis 22 is about, Abraham and Isaac going to the top of the mountain, Mount Moriah, which is where Christ was crucified on Mount Moriah, same location. And then in Luke 22, he's on Mount Moriah. So all three lead to that one place and a geographic location there. And it all talks about the same thing, one symbolically, Genesis 
uh, 22 describes the symbolic of the son carrying the wood on his back up the hill, the father with the, with the instrument of wrath in his hand and so on. And then it says there's a ram uh, caught in a thicket, caught in the thorn bushes, and that's going to be the sacrifice. And and, uh, and then we see Jesus in, in Luke 22 going up the mountain, the same mountain with the wood on his back, with the instrument of wrath in the father's hands, and also a crown of thorns. Um, he's caught in the thicket. You know, it's very interesting, amazing stuff, how it all ties together and how God is trying to get a clear message across. You know? and, uh, and then to talk about us, 30 and 31 is us, if you didn't know that. We're the people. We're the people. We're the posterity. We serve him. We recount the Lord to the next generation, that Sunday school ministry, and in our own homes, and, and anybody that will listen. We tell them about these things, declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he's done this, you know, and uh, it's an exciting thing. It's beautiful. And uh, that's where we close. I, uh, I have one verse, and then we'll leave it this, Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And, uh, and, and, and I, would, I would add to that also be the gospel in the sense that you're the merciful. Um, be that to people. What, what's so good about a gospel if, there isn't a, if it doesn't change the person and the person isn't full of joy, long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, all these fruits of being saved, you know, um, we want to do that. We want to share the gospel. We also want to be that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts or keep it in our hearts is what I want. That's what I mean to say, um, that your word wouldn't get stolen away or snatched away, that the cares of this world wouldn't cause us to forget what you spoke to us today, uh, the change that took place, though either you brought things to our remembrance or you convicted us about a certain area or encouraged us or we feel more solid. I pray that whatever's waiting for us outside that door as we leave today, that it wouldn't steal that away from us that this word that's been planted would bear a lot of fruit in our lives and it would never be taken away or, or be scorched by anything. It would, it would really take root, Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.